I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Final segment the program today. We've covered a lot of ground. I want to make a a specific invitation to you, and it is to uh, listen to a podcasted segment of today's program. Uh, Obviously, I'd love it if you listen to the whole show. We had a lot of good stuff here today, but in particular, uh, at 1250, uh, it'll be in in the podcast, it'll be the first segment uh, of the program today, a conversation between myself and Salt Lake City Police Chief Mike Brown. As you know, Yesterday, it was announced by Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall that a number of new changes were coming to the way police do their work uh, in the Salt Lake City area, on the Salt Lake City Police Department. Uh, Executive Order Number 5, as it was called, uh, lists a number of uh, changes, and these changes have come about rather suddenly. And the chief made it known that he uh, was involved uh, and certainly was consulted and had interaction, periodic interaction with the mayor as she developed uh, with her team these new uh, changes, uh, dealing with use of force, uh, the use of force to effect an arrest, deadly force. Uh, also, it talks about the responsibilities borne by all officers uh, to to put a stop to excessive force or aggressive behavior uh, if they view it to be inappropriate or out of line, regardless of their rank, right? So if you can imagine the difficult situation an officer might find themselves if they, uh, you know, maybe two, three weeks on the job, see something that's a little sideways uh, and they step up to someone who's been uh, on the force for some time, maybe decades, and say, hey, uh, no, 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 you can't do that. Well, there are protections for those folks uh, included in these new rules uh, created by uh, the mayor. Anyway, what I'm inviting you to do is go back and listen to my conversation with the police chief. It is, it's fascinating. We talk not only about the specifics of the order, but also uh, the attitude and morale being experienced by police officers right now. He admits uh, that due to the climate and due to other circumstances, morale is low. There are officers leaving the force. There are officers whose family uh, have, have pleaded and begged for them to step away from the profession of law enforcement. And some of them are answering uh, those requests and requesting themselves that they be separated from the force. The chief also describes uh, a, a great need and desire for new recruits. So if you are of uh, the appropriate uh, mindset and if you uh, are someone prepared and desirous to uh, serve and protect 
Salt Lake City Police Chief Mike Brown would like to have a little conversation with you. All right. Uh, final segment. So check that out on the on the KSL News Radio app, powered by Any Hour Services. Listen to the podcast, hear my conversation with the police chief, uh, as well as all the other chats we had throughout the program today, including a, a very insightful uh, conversation about hot air ballooning <laughs> with Joe Davis, the reporter here at KSL. All right. Uh, final few minutes here. Let me talk to you uh, about uh, a tactic used for schooling about 100 years ago. This comes from uh, uh, the History Channel. You remember the History Channel? Yeah, there used to be a time where they were in the business of uh, communicating history. And on TV, you'd see uh, history-based shows. <laughs> now I think it's like aliens and uh, like auction shows and uh, not so much history. But uh, they do have a website, and from time to time, they put out uh, some great articles. And my wife shared one with me just this morning. The headline reads, When Fears of Tuberculosis Drove an Open-Air School Movement. I had no idea. I had no idea. Tuberculosis... Uh, as you know, uh, swept through uh, this nation, killing so, so many. It uh, swept through the world, as a matter of fact. And uh, that was at a time where uh, those were, we were just starting to understand uh, the, the need for hygiene and cleanliness and clean air and space, fresh air, in our effort to, uh, to, to rein in the spread uh, of this virus at the time, tuberculosis. And so one of the tactics they used uh, was these uh, open-air schools. Yeah, open-air schools all over, the, all over the world, in fact. There was a movement. Uh, one, one of these movements launched in Germany in 1904 when a doctor there, uh, a pediatrician, in fact, looked around and thought, you know what, uh, these students all cramped up inside, uh, they're, they're sharing their germs uh, they are sharing, they are all coming down with this virus. What is it uh, about this, these circumstances that are causing a concentration? And the, uh, the conclusion was, well, why don't we try getting them outside? And so uh, there, uh, if you scroll through this article now, which I'll share on my Facebook page in a moment, you will see photograph after photograph of uh, young children, including here, one from 1911. Uh, here is an open-air classroom uh, with in the background, you see the 1911 skyline of New York City. There are desks, as you would see in a schoolhouse. There is a chalkboard, uh, as you would see in a schoolhouse, and a lectern for the teacher, all arranged uh, in a way that the, the children are breathing fresh air, spaced out from one another, uh, and able to learn. Now, I'm not saying that we should be learning outside. I think that we have some precautions in place right now. It is simply to say that uh, what we're facing right now is nothing new. So was the case in 1953. 1953, uh, there was a virus which was making its way around the world, and there was a vaccine development. You may have heard the name Jonas Salk. I'm sure you have uh, developed the polio vaccine. Uh, this morning, producer Amy and I were going back and forth learning about um, a virologist. That's a new word we learned, virologist. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the, this virologist's name is Stanley Plotkin. He invented the rubella vaccine. So w when you go for the MMR, uh, he, he's responsible for the R there. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to look at the polio vaccine. But uh, tipping, taking a step backwards, here is Dr. Plotkin talking about the importance of vaccines historically. The impact of vaccination on the health of well, the world's peoples is hard to exaggerate, with the exception of safe water no other modality has had such a major effect on mortality reduction and population growth. Very good. Now, continuing, 
uh, he made reference to that doctor I talked about just a second, Dr. Jonas Salk, who developed the polio vaccine. A different vaccine was, was introduced a little bit later and resulted in uh, eradication of polio from the U.S., but it was Salk's vaccine that did most of the job in, in the first place. Now, Amy did some good digging for me this morning. She uh, was combing through the archives uh, of the Marriott Library from the University of Utah and found this clipping from 1953, an article published in the Bingham Bulletin. The headline is, Polio Vaccine Undergoes Task, Test, Making History uh, in Medical History in the Making. I'll, I'll read a, a brief portion of this article here because it's fascinating. And as you hear words like polio, uh, I want you to uh, replace them with COVID in your mind, okay? Uh, so this story reads, the biggest story in medical history is in the making. It may become a completed story before the year is over. The story is of the new polio vaccine, which recently passed its first human tests on 90 children and adults. A creamy vaccine, homogenized in mineral oil, gave all 90 persons protective antibodies against all three types of virus that cause human polio. However, Dr. Jonas Salks, who has worked on the vaccine, warns there will be no polio vaccine in general use this summer and that a great amount of work remains before the vaccine is ready for wide public use. All right? Think about that. The anxieties of... Uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago are the same uh, that we are experiencing today. There is something sweeping the planet which is causing such great harm. It's happening now. It happened in the 50s. And you know what happened uh, when humankind went up against the polio virus? Well, they won. All right? Polio's been eradicated. And we can eradicate the coronavirus. It's going to take some time. It's going to take rounds of testing, just like we're seeing took place in the 50s with polio. Uh, but we are going to get through it. And as you know, our rolling average here in Utah is doing pretty well. Let's stay the course. Let's take a break, a 24-hour break. You and I will be right back here tomorrow at 1230. Now, though, it's time for me to make way for the great Jeff Kaplan as he to you delivers Jeff Kaplan's afternoon news here on KSL News Radio.